Man, I love that song. <laughs> it's a song that, uh, um, God, you know the last time I preached, I totally cried again for the song. And the reason why, I want you to know, okay? Well, one, I'm a crier. That's totally true, right? But Pastor Victor always asks, you know, what's going to be your walk-up song, he calls it. He calls it your walk-up song. And it's a song that, you know, when baseball players, I guess, I, I don't go to baseball games, but I guess now when a, a player walks up, they, play, they have a song, kind of like a theme song for them. And so the walk-up song is kind of like, what's the song that captures, you know, sets up the, the, the message you want to bring to the church? And um, the song that I think of, <laughs> God, darn it, you know, was a song that, um, uh, that Pastor... Pastor Victor introduced, it's God Really Loves Us by David Crowder. I believe it captures the message and the spirit of Psalm 107 and the spirit, uh, the message I want to bring to you today. The title of the sermon comes from the last verse in Psalm 107, verse 43. And it says this, the psalmist writes, whoever is wise... Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him pay attention to all that I've just written in this psalm. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Now the author is not just asking the people who are hearing just to to think about God's steadfast, committed love for them. He's asking them to grasp it, to take hold of it, to understand it to understand the depth and the character of his undying, unfailing love for his people. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word primarily used to describe God's love for his people, many of you know it, it's hesed. It's hesed. The principal at San Gabriel uh, uh, Christian Church, a Christian school, her first name is hesed, right? And... um, Every time you read steadfast love in the psalm, it is the word hesed. And the closest kind of love on earth that the Bible likens to God's hesed for his people, for us, in the psalm for his people, Israel, the closest kind of love on earth that the Bible likens to God's type of love is the covenant love of marriage between a husband and a wife. The other type of love he likens it to is the paternal love of a parent to a child. It is a committed love, a promised love. It is loyal, generous, and it is merciful. It's full of mercy and forgiveness. And that's what this psalm is all about. It's all about the hesed of God, God's promised, devoted love to you and me, his people. And so, as we open up this psalm, let us consider, let us take hold of his great, great love for us. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask by your mercy and your grace, your goodness and your love for us, that you would open wide our hearts to hear your committed and undying love for us. 
We say it all the time. Little kids learn the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But I pray, God, you might hit us with the full force of that by your mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. I wasn't sure how to teach through this psalm. It's a psalm uh, I read a while ago, and it's kind of been bubbling, kind of percolating in my heart uh, during these past few months. I taught it at the SDG College group. We studied it. And so when Rocky asked me if I could preach this Sunday, it's like, uh, I want to preach this psalm. Um, I want to read it all. I want to read the whole thing. And so as I started to read it more and study it more, it's like, oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff in here. But if I would teach, if I were to teach through it all, my sermon would be so long that I would probably fall asleep giving it to you, right? <laughs> but I still want to read the whole thing, all right? And so I'm going to do that. And you're like, oh no, I'll read it quickly and I'll go quick, I, I promise. So if you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 107, okay? If you have uh, the Bible app, I ask them to put the whole thing in there. All right, so go to uh, the sermon notes and Psalm 107's in there. We're also going to have it on the uh, overhead. But uh, on, the, on the overhead, <laughs> I'm showing my age. Um, the projector, it's going to be on the screen. Okay? But I want us to read through it. But actually, if you have it in your Bibles, it'd be good because you'll just see this whole thing. And I'm just going to pray as I read through it. Um, I'm going to stop and teach sometimes, so I'm not going to have you stand because you'd be standing the whole service, all right? Um, I'm going to comment on some of the things. I just pray that his word would speak. All right, Psalm 107. You guys ready? All right. I'll start off with verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love, his hesed, endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Okay, this psalm, it's addressed to those whom God has redeemed from trouble. Literally, trouble, it means he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. It is addressed to those who have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy and have been gathered in from lands from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. Who he's writing to He's writing to the people, God's people who have been returned from captivity in Babylon. Israel was defeated by the Babylonian Empire 70 years prior to this, completely decimated. All the gold in the temple, all the, all the, all the treasures taken from it, all the noble, the, it was like a, everyone who was a craftsman in Jerusalem, in Israel, they were exiled to Babylon. The nation was over. God's people had no land. And then 70 years later, by God's merciful grace, he brings his people back. And now they're back, and this psalm is written to them. It's written to them, and the psalmist wants them to think about all that has just happened and take in the magnitude of it all. And he wants to now, as they're back, and they're like, what are we doing back here? 
The reason why we were sent out and exiled is because we completely rejected our God. The Bible says that they were more corrupt and wicked than the Amorites whom they first defeated. They were worse than them. But now they're back. And the psalmist wants to affirm God's continued, committed, devoted love to them. And so he goes on. The psalmist gives four different scenarios of God's steadfast love. And I think he's just trying to affirm you're back here, and it's by his mercy. And these four scenarios could be referring to actual events that some of them went through, but I think there are more illustrations that capture the essence of the character of God's devoted love for them. All right? And so we're going to continue. And I'm going to read this section. It's going to be longer. Please follow. It's, it's really good. All right? So he gives the very first scenario, verse 4. It says, Some wandered in desert wastes finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. Scenario number two. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. No one. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them, give, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Amen. Scenario number three. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds of songs of joy. Last scenario. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and then they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he delivered them from their distress. He made the Lord, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Amen. Let's pray, right? That is a good, it's encouraging. Now, as we read these four scenarios, you probably noticed a pattern that runs through all of them, right? First, in every single scenario, the people come to a point of total helplessness, right? For those who are wandering in the desert, it says they were hungry and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. Their life was ebbing away. For the rebellious in bonds, it says he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, they fell down with none to help. The fool who thinks he knew better, they loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. And to the merchants seeking business overseas, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. In every situation he paints, he says the people come to a point of complete desperation and helplessness. They cannot help themselves. The second thing that happens in all of them is that when after they hit rock bottom, they cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And we see this pattern repeated over and over again in verses 6 and 8, in verses 13 and 15, 19 and 21, 28 and 31. Right? It says they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. And then there's a description of how God delivers them. And then he says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Now I want to just share with you that the word translated cry, there's two different words here. And they mean to scream and shriek. Right? It's a cry of desperation. Right? It's not just a whiny complaint. Right? As parents, we know the difference Right? When our children are crying and it's a whiny complaint and when it's a cry of desperation. Right? When they sit there, Mom! It's like, oh no. Right? Compared to, Mom! Right? And it's like, boom! You know something's happening. And then as a parent, you get really, really mad when it's a cry of desperation. Mom! or dad, and you go running over and they go, my ice cream fell, right? <laughs> that is not a big deal, right? I, I would think your arm is gone or something, right? The dog ate my arm. But we know, your parents, you know the difference between a cry of desperation and just a whiny cry. This is a cry of desperation. When I was at a Laker game, I, uh, I just support um, the stats you know, they're, they're, I, I just support these stats laptops, and every once in a while they cry for help, right? Hey, it's stuck, and they'll, Kenny, and yes, you know, and, and I, understand, I hear that cry. Well, there was one game where it's just like, Kenny, what? get help. And one of the uh, statisticians actually collapsed, right? But there is a difference between Kenny 
we need help with the computer, and Kenny, this bro just collapsed, right? It's a cry of desperation. That's the kind of cry that's happening here. So first, we see this pattern. There's helplessness. There is a sincere, desperate cry to God. And the third we see is that God responds. God responds. And why does he respond? It's because of his unfailing, devoted love for the people, for his children, for you and I. He responds. The author uses different Hebrew words to describe how God delivers. So, you know, in this uh, passage where he says, thank, let them thank the Lord. No, I mean, when they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them. That word delivered in the Hebrew is actually, it's a diff- he uses different Hebrew words when he, when he said uh, for delivered. The first one actually is in verse 2 where he talks about for those who have been redeemed. All right, those who have been delivered by the Lord, let them give thanks. But then afterwards, as you read through the four scenarios, that word delivered is different. In the ESV translation that I read, he just translates it, they just translate it delivered. But in the NAS and the NIV, if you look at your Bibles, if that's your Bible, you'll see that in verse 6, they translate it delivered. Verse 13, it's saved. Verse 28, though, it's brought them out, you know. And now these different words could be used just to uh, be like a stylistic thing, a literary thing. Or I just think this, you know, it could be acknowledging the Lord's different ways in which he delivers us. God rescues us unpredictably, amen? I mean, my wife and I, we just had uh, a lunch with a couple, a dating couple, you know, and uh, we were just sharing with them some of the ways in which God had been faithful to us. And again, as we recalled some of those things, they're like, man, God just provided this. It was completely out of the blue. He knows us. He is not predictable because his love for us is very unique. Every single person's situation is so unique. And when we cry to him for desperation, he answers, right? I've heard so many testimonies in this place, in this room of you whom in your desperation, in your heartache, in your wondering what's next, as you have prayed to God, that God answers, and it leaves you in awe. That's why he says, let us give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works, his awe-inspiring works that make you stand in wonder. He loves you. Now I want to make two quick observations, and they're going to be quick. Here we go. First, you know, I used to read about the Israelites and I'd think to myself, why don't they learn their lesson? You know, they frustrate me, right? God does miraculous works in their life, right? He provides water. He parts the Red Sea. I'm thinking, right, anyone, if you saw the Red Sea part and you walk through it, it's like, I love God forever, right? That's not the case. They keep falling into the same pattern, the same pattern that's repeated here. Walk away from the Lord or disregard him, come into total helplessness, cry out to him, and God delivers. 
And you would think, okay, do you get it? That used to irritate me. But you know, I've been journaling now for like 25 years, and I see the same pattern in my life. Is that like depressing? <laughs> right? It's like I see the same pattern in my life. When I, would, I read through my writings, I see the same issue come up again and again. It's in different forms. It Maybe it's a little bit deeper and it requires more faith, but it's the same issue. Right? And I think you can relate to me. You who have been married for 15, 20, 25 years, I bet you're dealing with the same issues. And I bet you they keep on repeating themselves, right? I bet you the fears that you are facing today and the anxieties that you struggle with today, I bet you the, the same ones that you struggled with 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I bet some of the addictions, the bitterness, maybe the rages, the anger, it's stuck around, it's been around. Why don't things change? Why don't they radically change? And what I'm telling you, this, what I've found true in my life is that they don't change because I don't think we realize how much we need the Lord. We don't realize, we don't realize that we need him. We need a complete reformation of the heart. We need him to invade us. We need him every single day. And I don't think we realize it. We don't see how deep our sin problem is. And we don't see that apart from his mercy and from his love, nothing's going to happen. We don't see what Jesus says in John 15, that he's the vine and we are the branch that apart from him, we can do nothing. For the longest time, I think we think we're the vine. He's the branch. No. We desperately need him. I just want you to know that your greatest weakness, your greatest struggle, when you know how much you need him, can become God's greatest avenue to show his glory. Your greatest weakness and failure can become God's pathway to show his greatest power and strength. Amen? All right, I'm going to ask that one more time. And everyone who agrees with me, all right? Your greatest weakness and struggle and failure in your life, when you know how much you need him, and you cry out to him, can become God's pathway to show his greatest glory and strength and love. Amen? Amen. Amen. It can. All right, I got to keep going. Second observation, my last one, and then I'm going to read. Oh, man. All right. Second, and this is not profound, God loves you. God loves you. For the ones in the desert and in the sea, it was primary their, primarily their circumstances. 
not solely their circumstances, but primarily their circumstances that brought them to their knees. The harsh realities of this world overwhelmed them, and they could no longer cope. For the ones in bondage and at the gates of death, it was primarily, again, not solely, their arrogant and rebellious choices that ruined their lives. They spurned the counsel of God. They thought they knew better. And when they went their own foolish ways, they ran their life into the ground. They bottomed out. I want you to know that for both groups, no matter how they got there, God was near. And God loved them. And so whether you're in desperation because of the harsh realities of this fallen world, the death of a beloved one, an unfavorable test result or medical diagnosis, a very difficult relationship or loss of a dream, or whether you're at rock bottom because of your own foolish, immoral choices, maybe an unethical work practice, lying, unfaithfulness in marriage, or just an unrestrained pursuit of pleasure. I want you to know that however you got to your place of total desperation, humiliation, or hopelessness, that that's not the ultimate issue. The ultimate issue is whether or not you believe, you still believe that God loves you. And that he is still calling you to himself. And what he is waiting for is for you to cry out to him. That's what he's waiting for. See, the two things in common with this group, groups one and four and two and three, right, Say they both need to believe that God loves them. God really loves them. You know, when you're suffering, when your suffering has been brought on by your own foolish and arrogant choices, then your challenge is to believe that his love is still forgiving and merciful and he still wants you. And when you feel like your suffering has been brought upon you, then your challenge is for you to believe that God has loved you. He loves you even despite of the hard, harsh realities of this life that have come upon you. Your challenge is to not doubt that, to know he is with you. Okay, after running through these four scenarios, the God of steadfast, after running through these four scenarios of God's steadfast love for his people, the author leaves them with a final thought. I'm going to read this. Okay, I got to go really quick. Verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert 
into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to dwell in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished, though, and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless ways. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and the wickedness shuts its mouth. He has nothing to say. Let's really look quickly at what he is and is not saying about God's love. First, I drew this picture. So maybe if we could show the picture, right? First, he says that he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. And what causes that? In the scripture, verse 34, that happens because of the evil of its inhabitants. This is what happened to Israel, their rejection of God, and, and, and his ways ultimately led to their captivity and the devastation of their homeland. But then he writes this. He says, he turns desert, pool, desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water. So here's my picture. So what causes that? And you'd think you'd read something like this. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water because of the goodness of his inhabitants, right? But that's not what he writes. He doesn't write that at all, right? What he writes is that he turns the desert pool, uh, he turns the desert into pools and parched lands into springs of water. And then period. And why doesn't he say that? Well, he doesn't say that because that's not the gospel message. If he said that, then the gospel message would be like every other religion out there. Right? Do bad and you're going to be punished. But if you do good, then you'll be blessed. You can somehow earn his favor. That's not the message of Christ. That's not the message of the Lord in his Bible throughout all, through the whole thing. Look at what he says. He says, he turns desert into pools of water, a parched land of the springs of water, period. And there he lets the hungry dwell. He lets the hungry dwell. They establish the city. They plant. And then verse 38, by his blessing... By his goodness they multiply, and he does not let their livestock diminish. And is it always good? Is it always wonderful? No. Verse 39, when they are diminished, because we live still in a fallen world and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, this is what he says. He says, he pours contempt on princes. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the arrogant, the ones who are self-sufficient, who are proud. Read Psalm 146. 146, please read that later. He pours contempt. You could put on the proud, the arrogant, and makes them wander in trackless ways. But he raises up who? Those who need. The needy. Those who know they need the Lord. 
God loves you, and you cannot, we cannot earn his favor and love. Like a father to his children, like a mother to his children, to her children. Their love is committed, it's devoted, it's forgiving, it's merciful. God's love can only be given to those who are hungry and know their desperate need for a Savior. Amen. I love that. When you know how much you need him, his forgiveness, his hope, his wisdom, his strength, then you're going to begin to be able to grasp the steadfast love of God for you. And then you're going to begin to realize God really loves me. God really loves me. And at that point, all of life changes. All of life changes. To you all, my brothers and sisters, my beloved friends, whoever is wise, whoever is wise, let them attend to these things, right? Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you now. I pray, God, that as we take communion, as we remember, remember your death for us, the giving of your life for us, in spite of our weakness, failure, sin. Lord, may we remember, may you open again, open our hearts to understand your commitment to us in Christ. And as we remember and as we sing, Lord, may your love invade us. No matter where we are, may we cry and see our great need of you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.